my message today is uh, it's only going to take five minutes that's it uh, but I don't know when that time will begin I'm not sure <laughs> and, and I, I have to teach a little bit in the middle but I'll I really only want to preach five minutes and, and I'll when I begin it's only going to be about five <laughs> it's true this is true 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 8 Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants saying such and such place should be my camp this is where we're going to set up I like the word however it could be imposed here however and the man of God however sent unto the king of Israel said beware don't go to that place the Syrians are in wait for you Verse 10. And so the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once or twice. They, they didn't go where they were planning to go. Verse 11. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. There's not a place you can go in your house. He doesn't hear what you're saying. This is long before the NSA. In fact, there's, there's no agency like the Lord's agency. You're not going to go anywhere and say anything. He don't hear what you're saying. Don't think you can get to the confines of your house and just spout off whatever you say. In fact, God told the people, I saw you and heard you when you were in your tents. So anyone who says, I can say anything because I'm at home, that's not true. Who told you that? Okay, well. I don't want to disturb you yet. That's coming. <laughs> and... The king said, go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told the king saying, Elisha is in Dothan. Here's our last verse, verse 14. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and they surrounded the city round about. Everybody said amen. Uh, please place your Bibles down behind you and let's pray that the Lord will give us ears to hear the word, hearts to receive it. I want you to block out everything in your day and everyone's around you. You might have to close your eyes. I don't know how you do it, but just say right now, Lord, Father, open up my heart so that I can receive this word. It's going gonna, it's gonna to carry me now. I'm about to hear a word that's going to carry me through something. It's going to lift me over something. I, I've got to have this today. Don't let anything distract me. Don't let any people distract me. Don't let my, my, my surroundings distract me. Amen. Everyone said in Jesus' name. Please turn to your neighbor and tell them how wonderful they look and smell today. Tell the truth, please. And you may be seated. Thank you.
single line of scripture. One single phrase. Is the telltale of the entire life of Abraham's nephew, Lot. I'll read it to you. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan. And that was at least the commencement, the beginning of the ending of his entire life. He looked up and lusted and saw something he thought was good. Jacob's ability to deceive his father at the passing of the birthright was made possible because Isaac could not see. It was a cloudy mix of images moving around him. He could not decipher who was in front of him. The Bible says it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said to him, My son, and his son said, Behold, here am I. But it wasn't Esau, it was Jacob that stood there waiting for the firstborn blessing. Mm -hmm. Of all the things that hinder my faith, nothing strikes the nail harder like what I see. The battle that rests heavy on our lives always begins with what we see. Our view of the world conflicts our mind and not a few have succumbed to doing things contrary to the will of God because of what they saw. And we're not alone in this limitation of sight. We do not stand here conflicted, even bound by deficiencies and flaws of some of the making, but most of the time is from our fleshly perspectives. Our human understanding rests so heavily upon what we can see. It begins with assumptions that lead into facts. And people live out the course of their lives because of what they have seen. They give testimony to what they have seen. They structure their lives by those images, not knowing where they may lead. Lot moved his family because of what he saw. He moved his entire family because he looked up and saw the well-watered plains of the Jordan. And Isaac blessed his second son because he could not see but just this cloudy mix of images. We make advancements and do our businesses by the very same limitations of our sight because carnal sight is the same as a cloudy vision. When you see carnally, when you see in a carnal fleshly way, it's the same as looking through a foggy cloud. Second Corinthians 11, let me just read a little bit here. From the New Living Translation, Paul writes to the church at Corinth. I hope you'll put up with me a little more my foolishness. <laughs> he's, he's humble. He's not foolish, but placate me a little bit. Bear with me. 
I'm jealous for you. In other words, I don't want you to go a different way. Just want all of you to know, I'm jealous for you. I don't want you to go a different way. I promised you before the Lord to, to create a pure bride. I'm trying to do something here. There's a marriage coming. Verse 3, but I fear somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Some of you are being deceived, Paul. You, you put up with whatever anyone tells you. Even if they're preaching a different thing, a different Jesus than the one we preached or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. You put up with these things. But I don't consider myself in fear in any way to those super apostles who teach such things. I may be unskilled as the speaker, Paul wrote, which I don't believe was true. But I'm not lacking in knowledge. We've made this clear, very clear to you in every way possible. When I was wrong, when I humbled myself, honored you by preaching God's gospel, the good news to you without anything in return, I didn't expect nothing from you. I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, I did not become financially burdened anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. I didn't get anything from you. I've never been a burden to you. I'll never be a burden to you. As sure as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in all of Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. Why? Because, because I don't love you? That's not true. Because God knows I do love you. But I will continue doing what I have always done this will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours when it's not like ours. These people are false prophets, Paul wrote. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Watch this. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they'll get their punishment, their wicked deeds, and what they deserve. Let me just tell you, but right now they're not. Right now they're masquerading, but you think that they're good because you saw them and you considered them. Your view may very well be the thing that's holding you back. Bad alliances are being made every day because we are often led by our sight. Relationships are being formed because somehow we saw someone, they did something, they looked good while they were doing it when it was really evil. False teachers, false prophets, false doers, looking like they can lead you in the word when they are not leading you in the word. Your sight, your eyes can fool you. Even the most well-trained eye can be deceived to think a thing is a fact when in reality it is a lie. Yeah. When you are led by your sight, you will believe something that's not true. When you are led by your sight, you're led by a limitation. That is a surface-oriented limitation. It's the quick hand of the magician that blinds you from the truth. Trickery, sorcery, a craft made to deceive your thinking. Good is masked as evil and evil is cloaked as good. Paul called some of those in the church false brethren. Can you imagine that in the church of the very living God, there could be false brethren. And brethren means everybody. Because cisterns, that doesn't work. 
<laughs> you thought false brethren were bad, false cisterns are really bad. <laughs> Paul called them ravenous wolves besetting the church of the living God. And anyone who besets the church of the living God is a ravenous wolf. But you embrace them because you looked at them. <laughs> they didn't look like a wolf. They didn't look like a false brethren. Their hands were filled with service, but their mouths were full of guile. Uh-huh. Oh, and I am preaching right now. And just to look at something or someone and then make a conclusion can be a very dangerous thing because our eyes deal in a minimal reality. Our eyes make a cast of a thing that cannot always be known. John promoted this litmus test in his writing. He said, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. These spirits were attitudes. Don't buy into everyone's personality. Satan himself disguised as angel of light. All of it brings me to this thing that we do to assume something could be true. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. They did not kill him. And he was not devoured by some beast in the field. But when they dipped his garment in blood and then brought that bloody coat to their father, Jacob saw it and he assumed his son was dead. He saw the color. He saw the red. He saw the... Who would argue with that kind of evidence? Jacob saw the blood with his eyes, his own eyes, and it brought him grief to his own spirit. No one said anything about Joseph's whereabouts. But Jacob's eyes saw something that crushed his spirit. He saw it. Watch this. And he knew it. And said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph's, without doubt, rent in pieces. Read the words again. Without doubt no doubt no argument no debate i can see it with my own eyes and because i can see it i know it i believe it because i see it without any doubt he's been killed and he knew it mm-hmm. that's right jacob believed a lie because of what he saw his disposition was set because his eyes told him a story that could not be untold and at the moment jacob bowed in anguish and wept over his Lost at that very moment while he was doing that, Joseph was being dragged by chains and ropes behind a caravan of merchants on their way to Egypt. Joseph was alive as any of Jacob's sons. Watch this. But the eyes of a person can hardly be turned once they have settled the thought in the heart. If there is a healing that we so desperately need it is the healing of our vision your temporal view is bringing you into the pit of despair even professional psychiatrists declare this they they even say depression might be traced most of all to the belief of a thing that's been viewed and i'm quoting dr ellen hendrickson who studied the phenomena of a presumption based on a belief she says brought about by sight a belief because Someone saw something and they presumed that the thing was true. Dr. Hendrickson says that people have bought into a lie about something and they've accepted something. They would even say, I looked at that person and knew they would never want to be my friend. 
Let me say it a different way for the church. Well, we, we, we saw somebody and we, we knew they wouldn't want to hear about the gospel from us. I knew they wouldn't want to talk to me about God. I looked at them. They, they looked like they would never understand me. I, I saw the look on their face and I knew that they, they just didn't want to hear what I had to say. And we walked away from them because we presumed something with our sight. I'm going to tell you today, we need a healing of our sight. We are seen, but we are not seen. You can look this up yourself. I wish you wouldn't right now. You can stay off your phones. You know, the glow that's on your face, I'm sure, is not the glory of God. Just saying. (laughs) Because if it was the glory of God, every once in a while you'd say amen. (laughs) All right, well, that didn't work because you're still down. (laughs) Joshua Bell is one of the world's greatest violinists. Uh, When you go to a symphony, the cheap seats are 80 to 85 dollars. They can get into the realm of two or three hundred dollars. And people pay mega bucks to hear Joshua Bell play, to hear him, to see him. He's traveled all over the world. He's played in all the greatest symphonies. He's the lead. He's not just the first chair. He's the featured player. No one can touch his skill level. He's one of the greats. But one day he decided to dress down. He didn't comb his hair. He he wore plain clothes. He got a, got a couple pieces that were, didn't fit him right. But he took his violin and he stood at the exit of the metro in Washington, D.C. And he took out his violin without any accompaniment or any fanfare and he started to play. And he stood there for 45 minutes playing his violin. He played six Bach pieces. While they estimated they were videoing him over in the corner, about a thousand people walked by. Twenty of those people stopped and gave him a little bit of money. I think at the end he made maybe $35. When he was finished, no one applauded him. No one clapping. No one recognized him. There was no recognition. At the end, he played, at the last piece, he played one of the most intricate pieces ever written in music. And he played it on his violin that is said to be worth about three point five million dollars but standing there him in that place at that time while people are disheveled harried in a hurry with their minds on other things racing to the next thing it was hard for anyone to understand who they were looking at and they saw him but they never saw him they saw the master take out a violin Worth more than most of those people ever make in a lifetime. And they walked by him. If he was in a different place, they would have paid big money to see him and garnish his autograph. But because they saw him but didn't see him, they walked by him. One old man stopped for a moment and he just paused for a moment. And they said he seemed to to recognize something but he kind of shook his head just shook his head and 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 they 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 were thinking maybe 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 he believes this could be joshua bell believes this could be profound but but it just wasn't the right setting it just wasn't the right place so he just went over and he put one dollar it was the first dollar that joshua bell he put one dollar and kind of backed away a little sheepishly he he wasn't sure He, he heard something powerful and wonderful and beautiful but but his eyes were looking at a man standing at the exit of the metro surely nobody who is that good would ever stand in 
a place of commonality with all the other people. Surely no one that profound would ever walk into a place looking like that, appearing that way, in that place at that time, and be that profound. And that eyesight, that view, clouded all those people. 1,000 people walked by. 1,000 people, had they known who was standing there and playing that violin, they surely would have stopped and said, I got my picture. There could have been a 1,000 selfies had they known, but they didn't know because they looked at somebody and they made a judgment about somebody. I say today, you what you do not know is that the Lord God omnipotent almighty is standing in his house and you walk by him and we don't see him. Watch it. Joseph's brothers are looking full square in the eyes of the second most powerful man in the kingdom. Joseph's brothers are looking at the Savior incarnate. Everything that they would ever need is found in the brother Joseph. But they're looking at the brother and they don't think that he is akin to them. They don't see him as one of him. I say, if you look around this place, there are brothers and there are sisters who have the power and the authority and the gifting to give you the word and pray the prayer over you but you don't see them I'll tell you why you don't see them because you saw them last week I'll tell you why you don't see them because you saw them two months ago I'll tell you why you don't see them for who they really are because you think you know their background what you don't know is their future and you don't know the blood and you don't know their gifting and your brother has the power I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll get up out of this place. We'll look at somebody, but we don't see them. We'll walk by them, but we don't see them. We'll go out of here struggling when if we would only get by our brother and recognize them for who they are. Well, what is that? What, what is that? What is that? If I'd only known who you were, you know, I would. Listen, I, I would have. Can I touch the violin? Can I touch it? Can, look at. Can I take a picture of that thing? Oh my goodness! You would not believe what I saw. We were in New York standing on Times Square and Jim Gaffigan walked by. I recognized Jim Gaffigan. People were just walking by him. I said to Alexandra, and no, I do not have to pay her for that. Give me 10 bucks. We'll share it. I said, Alexandra, that's Jim Gaffigan. She said, who is it? I said, that's a comedian guy. And so I, I don't know why. I just yelled out, Jim Gaffigan! was walking along with one of his daughters and he went over like that and looked at me hey I'm looking at all these thousands of people crowding around nobody recognizes the guy I'm like I'm going to stand it went through my mind I'm going to stand here and let Jim Gavkin walk by me and never say anything no way I don't even know what my next thing was all I know is just got to yell out Jim Gavkin Jim Gavkin I don't know, maybe if you'd come over, I said, tell me a joke. I don't know. I'm not sure. You give, do something for me. Do something. And Jesus just kind of walks by and you just kind of cruise in and you're hearing all the things and looking at all the things and seeing what's going on. And you never write, you never call out, Jesus! Jesus! Let me tell you the difference between all the crowd that's walking out of Jericho with Jesus and all the clamor that's walking out of Jericho with Jesus. The difference between them and blind Bartimaeus was they was looking at a man, but blind Bartimaeus could not see. So he was calling on the Lord God omnipotent. He said, thou son of David, have mercy on me. 
the limitations of their sight. Block them from calling on the son of David. Uh-huh. I'm going to preach at the end. Uh-huh. That's what temporal vision does to you. Blinds you from the beauty of God's word. Steals your gratitude by a failure to recognize his wonder. If you only could see the wonder of God, we would never, we would have so, it would be difficult to get to the offering because the shouting and the worship would become so demonstrative. If you ever could really see where the Lord has brought you from and where he's bringing you, you would be on your face day and night crying and shouting and dancing and clapping. You would lose yourself if you could only see what the Lord has really done for you. If you could only recognize that and see it for what it was. If you could ever get a picture of the cross of Calvary and the anguish that was there. You could not, you would lose your voice by shouting praises to the Most High God. (laughs) But our temporal vision causes us to see other things. We don't see God doing the impossible, even though he's orchestrating the path for us in the most unexpected way. But because we have put him in a certain context, a box, if you will, difficult for us. I have a prayer for you. It might not be the one you're thinking about. My prayer has to do with your sight. Yeah. Brings me to this little city named Dothan place of grass and water in fact two wells was its name to a sleepy little town nothing to boast of except farmers tending their flock they easily traversed the fields because they were lush from one pasture to another 42 miles north of Jerusalem Still yet north of Shechem, off in the distance of the Jezreel Valley, you had to go over a mountain range. It was just, it was buried in a, in a mountain range, a small valley buried around mountains. No one came through that place, really. It wasn't a place of destination. It might have been on the way to some other city, but nothing that ever exciting happened there. Dothan was where... The prophet Elisha lived. Elisha, who wore the mantle of his predecessor, Elijah. He would do twice as many miracles and works and wonders among the people as Elijah did. But kings would call for him from time to time. People were mostly afraid of the prophets, and that is also true of Elisha. Prophets are not warm and cuddly, they're prickly. They're hard to talk to. They're eccentric. He did not hide out or become weary, however. Once he made his start, it appears that he was fully devoted to the call. God speaks to him in ways unlike other men. And for the protection, God tells Elisha things that are known only to the enemy. Where the enemy is going to attack. Where their, where their next plot will unfold. Not once or twice, but time and again, more than three times. And the king of Syria makes plain that he's going to attack and war against Israel. 
And he prepares his army to fight, only to find out that the armies of Israel are not where they're supposed to be. I love the opening line of 2 Kings 6 and 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel. Warred against Israel. Solomon said, where there's no wood, there's no fire. Where there's no wood, the fire goes out. See, you can war all you want, but it doesn't have the same effect when there's no one on the other side to hit. The king of Syria warred against an absent Israel. Not one time, not two times. How many times, we cannot be sure. But the frustration has mounted to a feverish pitch. So that the king of Syria believes that someone in his own army is a spy for Israel. And he asks a ludicrous question. Who is a spy for Israel? Of course. No one in their right mind is going to confess. At least not willingly. Really? Some guy in the back row is going to raise his hand? Yeah, okay, you got me. The king of Syria is asking a question. That he should have known was never going to be answered. But I suppose when you get frustrated enough, fit to be tied, bound up, exasperated, infuriated, you ask questions that should not be asked. I've done it myself with my children. I've asked my kids, do you want me to ground you and so you can stay in your room for the rest of your life? Do you want a knuckle sandwich? My dad would ask us, do you want me to pop you in your mouth? Do you want me to knock you into tomorrow? Do you want to be grounded until you are 25? When you get frustrated, you ask dumb questions. And if anyone even said yes or blinked, you just don't say anything. Do you want me to whip you with the belt? Do you want me to wash your mouth out with soap? Who is ever going to say, yes, it's really dirty in there. I would love, I love dial. I love it. Can you get the soft soap? Which branch do you want me to break off and beat you with? Do you think I'm happy with you? You see your mother... Even questions that, they're they're not even questions. You get so mad, you start asking. You see her? (laughs) Do you understand the disappointment? I know you're only five, but you understand the disappointment? My brother used to do this with his kids. I learned it first from my brother when he would ask Taylor when she was four, five, six years old. What's going to come of you? Who's a spy? And when you get frustrated, things just don't make sense. And that's, that's the entire arena now of the king of Syria. The king was there boiling inside all of his many plans thwarted. God's intel laid to waste all of his planning by the time they arrive, no one's there. All the work to load and unload. Military equipment and foot soldiers and horsemen and chariots and the gear and the support group and the cooks and the people who supply the eggs and all the other stuff. The flour. All the breads were ready to go. All the water pots that they had to bring. 
And after several times of warring without a battle, the king of Syria believes that someone in his own group is telling the king of Israel their plans. And he asks the question, who is for the king of Israel here? And one of his servants said, no one, Lord. It's Elisha, the prophet that's in Israel. He tells the king of Israel all the things that you speak, even in your most private places. And to that, the king of Syria, remember now, he's deranged. He's enraged. He's infuriated. He's asking questions that no one would answer. And he's given orders that made no sense. And he orders now his army, all the chariots and all the soldiers to surround the town of Dothan in search, in a search and destroy type mission to capture the prophet who knows his most intimate conversations. Think of it. The king of Syria is in pursuit to capture the prophet by using these words, and I quote, and he said, go spy where he is. As if you can sneak up on the prophet. The Bible says that he sent horses, his chariots, a great host of men, and they came by night, because that's a good time. Surrounded the city, they can pass it round about. I know where I need to be. I just want to pause here and just quote this. I have to pause and quote a little David the psalmist when he said, I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people who have set themselves against me round about. It's good for the prophet. It's good for him. It's good for the leading man. People like Paul and John and Barnabas. They seem impervious to what they see. But put a no-name servant, things don't look good. Bring up a person who's kind of fresh and new and doesn't understand all that stuff. Or someone who's battled a long time, had a lot of battle scars. And things don't look so good because the next morning, the servant of the prophet, not Elisha, he got up early, he rose early in the morning and when he went outside on the rooftop or maybe whatever his custom might be, he saw the whole city surrounded with horses and chariots of the Syrian army. And his eyes were leading him to a conclusion his heart could not handle. Don't argue with your eyes, Right? Whatever you see, it's got to be true. That's the common thought. Believe what you see. The logical mind says that what I see is. Sight is knowledge. To view something is to affirm it to be so. And when the servant saw the city surrounded by the Syrian army, he was afraid in his heart. It gripped him because fear comes through sight. You are never more afraid than when you see the enemy for yourself. And it's difficult, near impossible to be moved from the thought that your eyes have planted in your heart. Your eyes plant thoughts in your heart. Your eyes is a gardener planting seeds in your heart. Alas, my master, how shall we do? That is not benign. That's not watered down. If you could hear it in context, it is a cry for help. Alas, master, what are we going to do? And the prophet starts to pray. I'm going to pray over you. I love those prayers. Pray for me. Yes, thank you, pastor. Thank you, elder. Thank you, leader. Thank you, prophet. Pray, fire fall from heaven. Pray the earth opens up and consumes them. Pray that a lightning bolt comes and just just fries all of them. But Elisha does not pray for strength or ability. Here's the prayer he prayed. He prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. 
What are you talking about? I can see very clearly. We're surrounded by the enemy. How are you praying for me to open my eyes? Why would you ask God to open my eyes? My vision's working perfectly fine. I can see my problems. They're all around me. I can see it. I know exactly what kind of conflict I'm in. You don't have to tell me what kind of problems I'm having. I can see it. But that is not what Elisha was praying for. He was praying that there was a, he was saying there's another sight beyond your sight. And when the servant saw, here's the Bible. When the servant saw, the Lord said, the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about. And here it is. The city was full of Syrians, but the mountain was full of angels. Dothan was surrounded by horses of flesh and chariots of wood, but the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire. My limited reality is full of trouble, but my God is greater than my limited reality. And here's what I want to preach for the next five minutes. It might look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded. Oh, it might look like I'm in trouble, but I got somebody on my side. It looks like I'm bound, but the Lord has bound me up. It might look like I'm in, I'm in conflict, but there's one greater than my conflict. I'm preaching to somebody here today. Your affliction and your trouble is not a fact. It's not sealed by fate. It's only an opportunity for the Lord to do his work. And I'm praying, open the eyes of the people so they can see what real reality. Hey, it might look like I'm surrounded, but I got to tell you, I am surrounded. Watch this. Just stand. Just keep standing. If you're living by everything you see, you're going to be miserable and hopeless. Joy has a hard time climbing past the eye of the temporal. We don't walk by sight anyway. The Bible says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Hey, you're not walking. You're walking by sight. You're in big trouble. You're believing everything you see. You're in big trouble. You walk by faith, not by sight. That's not the child of God. The child of God looks at the problem and knows God's bigger than that problem. The child of the most high God looks over and says, yeah, I got a lot of things surrounding me, but you should see all the other side. I'm looking like I'm surrounded here, but I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded again. I'm surrounded the second time. Hey, you ought to yell out yes. You ought to cry out preach. You ought to cry out I believe it. You ought to cry out I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking at, but I know there's something on the other side of that. See, joy comes when you see beyond the city and you start looking to the mountain. You got stuck on the city and you didn't look at the mountain because, see, Satan also has a limitation. He don't get to the mountain. The devil doesn't live in the mountain. He don't survive in that, in that fine, rare air. He only gets to the lowly places. That's why the 
That's why the the prophet and the and the teacher and the psalmist and the judges would cry out to God in the high places. That's why Abraham went up to the highest peak he could find. That's why David wrote, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made the heaven and earth. In the hills he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee shall not sleep or slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from an evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time, even forevermore and forevermore, evermore. I'm looking to the hills. Whatever report you've been given, if you need to repeat the report, you ought to practice adding something like this. I don't know how you're going to put it. Say the report if you have to say it, but then say this. But I know the Lord is greater than what I can see. I just got to step out here and just tell you if a well-meaning person in the church comes up to you and says honey I know you've been in trouble my heart is breaking for you you tell them it might look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded don't ever take don't ever take their sympathy lying down because their sympathy might actually be the chain and the rope that binds your spirit. People are sympathetic and I'll tell you what, their sympathy is going to drive you into a madness. In fact, by the time they get done sympathizing, you might be depressed. As people pat me on the back and say, I know you're going through trouble, Pastor. I know. I just want to say, hold on a second. Don't bring me down. I may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded. The Lord shall be a defense for me. The Lord's going to bring me out. The Lord's going to bring me through. The Lord's going to fight my battle. The Lord's going to protect me. The Lord, I look to the hills from which cometh my help. My help, woo, my help comes from the Lord. Where did your help come from? Where did your help come from? My help comes from him who made the heavens and the earth. When you try to console me, just know this. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. But don't get so depressed with me. You gotta bring me up. In fact, it'd be better to say, you know what? The Lord can do anything. He didn't leave you. He didn't forsake you. He didn't never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Job said, I look for him on my right and my left. I couldn't find him. I look for him in front and behind. I couldn't find him. But the Lord knows what path I took. There's a knowledge. I look for him and I didn't see him. I look for him over there. He didn't, he wasn't there. I look for him over there. That's depressing. People walk around. I don't know where you've been. God, I've been looking for you. Don't worry about it. He knows where you are. He's been looking at you. You may not be seeing him, but he's seeing you. He's in the mountains. And your prayer should be, open my eyes, Lord, so I can see. 
he's standing at the exit and the entrance and you didn't know how powerful he was he's in this place right now he's playing a violin and a sound and a music that's worth more than you could ever imagine you'll just pause and say I'm in the presence of royalty right now hey hey Watch this, watch this. I know that it's a little crazy, you know. Sometimes these Pentecostals, they kind of go crazy. Sorry, but it's, just, it's okay, bear with us. We're in good company. I'm, I'm reading, uh, I'm reading the Tennessee Titans. I'm reading the ten. This is a NFL football team. For all of you who don't know this, NFL football team. Even people who know NFL have never heard of the Tennessee Titans. They're really the Houston Oilers transplanted there are no titans that ever came from tennessee just want you to know there's a bunch of rednecks that came from tennessee and no titans ever came from tennessee watch and they lose the game they lose it but the fans still love them because they got close to the end and there's some dads and some moms there with their kids and what they have in their hand is a black magic marker. I pray it wasn't a permanent one. And I guess they ran out of papers and didn't have a football to sign. And they said, just, whoa. they lose them. Just sign my kid's forehead. And the losers are given their autograph to the people with magic markers on their body. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I'm supposed to be silent and behave myself for the king of glory? What what a second? The champion of all champions never lost a battle, never told a lie, never has been defeated never saw a problem that was too great never saw a mountain that was too high never saw a valley that was too low he who formed the world and spoke them out of their mouth and I'm just a little erratic because I've recognized him. Listen, when you see Jesus high and lifted up, it's going to change your entire life. When you see the Lord and his glory, it's going to change you. And you don't have to get to heaven to start looking for the Lord here. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to, my five minutes is up. Here we're going to do we're going to present the issue because we're, we're dealing with reality. And when we're done with that, we're going to say to our own spirits, it looks like I'm surrounded. But now we're going to cast our trust on the Lord and say, but I'm surrounded. So just right now, wherever you're standing, here's what I want you to do. Tell it like it is. Don't uncover. Don't cover up all the problem. Just say it. Lord, this is what I'm dealing with. Self, this is where you are. Here's the problem. Here are the problems. Here's the conflict. Speak out the names of the people that you're burdened for. The sicknesses that, that, that seem to, to overwhelm you. Come on, say it now. We're just going give it, to give it a little time. We're not going to give it the whole time. Come on, have a little, have a little clarity in your spirit. This is what I'm dealing with. Here's where I'm at. And when you're done with that, now I want you to say this. 
it looks like I'm surrounded you have to say it out of your mouth but I'm surrounded <laughs> Lord open up my eyes so I can see the glory of your power and the wonder of your splendor I pray in the name of Jesus I pray it right now in the matchless name of Jesus Christ I pray it right now in the name of Jesus open up our eyes so that we may see ah, in Jesus holy name that's right come on now you want to praise God when you start proclaiming that you are surrounded though in host and camp against me my heart shall not fear.